Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Brendan here with markvetgurus.com. Welcome to episode 168, Friday the 18th of December 2020. And we're almost, Mark, we're almost at the holiday season. And I'm looking forward to our holiday special, Mark, as I'm sure you are, although we have no idea what we're going to do. Yes, it's taking shape. (laughs) It's taking shape, as in we're starting to think about it and uh, we'll have to get an agenda going. I'm sure it it will be good. And some good feedback from our last episode with our interview with Laura Greaves or Graves um, about her novel, her, her well, her, her true life stories of extraordinary dogs, extraordinary old dogs, and we've had a bit of an uptick in listenership for that week, that episode, Mark, so that was good. I think it's always, we always seem to get, get very good feedback when we have a guest speaker does, or speakers does, does on. People are not interested in listening in to you and I. That's right, exactly. Um, they prefer not to listen to us, I think, is the, is the key point there. So, yes, so that's that's good news. And speaking of good news, have you got any good news about what's been happening in your neck of the woods? I hear you're in sunny Sydney um, this um, while we're recording and you're Anything sitting in a hotel room and uh, we're still sort of in that phase of going from our lockdown to to being released and uh, I still haven't sort of left the Melbourne metropolitan area. So this whole bit about travelling to places is really foreign to me even even within our state, Mark. So how is it in Sydney? Look, it's it's interesting that, um, that in, you know, I think we've been lucky not to have community uh, transmission for well 50 days I think we're up to now so there's still a few cases in hotel quarantine lockdown um, but um, but there's still lots of people with masks and and uh, we, when I was I was going to my meetings today and there's only two people allowed in the you know those um, those lifts uh, that uh, normally carry 17 people or something they're only allowed two people and um, lots of stations with hand sanitizer, so it's still very. People are very conscious uh, of the coronavirus still, even though it might not be, um, it might not be as as uh, immediately worrying as it once was, Brendan. Yes, similar here, and I think it's almost like what what. One of the words or the words of the year, the old, the new normal, uh, people get sick of people saying, but um, I'm sure that it'll be something that we'll see for many months, if not years to come, people wearing masks even even into the next few few years. So, Brilliant. but yes, enough of it, Have enough about correct. I was just going to ask Sorry. a quick question about um, we've got this thing in Newcastle. It's um, called the Flu Tracker. It's uh, run by our um, our local area health service, and they send out uh, weekly questionnaires about sneezing and coughing and and uh, temperature and time off work. It's a pretty quick thing to do, 
Um, I've been doing it for a few years and they collate the data and they're able to, you know, with statistical analysis, tell all things about um, the, the relative danger of the flu. One of the interesting things this year, though, is that um, they predicted with all the corona behaviour that there would be a little bit of a drop-off in the circulating um, cold, the rhinovirus and um, the influenza virus. But um, those steps, in, at least in Newcastle, have made a precipitous difference to um, to those other infectious diseases. There's been a yes. huge downturn in um, the incidence of uh, of um, colds and flu. This, uh, you know, we're we're in summer now, but through the whole of winter. So is that something you guys have noticed in Melbourne? Yes, most definitely. And I think it's it's interesting some of the other. Other processes or statistics of, of things that have gone uh, decreased um, the the carbon output, you know, with people not using their cars as much during during lockdown, and the the um, changes with um, you know some of the re- tiny tiny sort of reversal for some of those climate change things, and uh, maybe in the long term, some people will do some positive changes as as far as um, their their imprint. On the Earth, Mark. Um, um, the tone of this this podcast already. Yes, we're going to be positive. We're going to be very positive this um, this podcast, Mark. Um, just a quick shout out to our uh, supporters, um, VetGurus dot com, the place to go, and you can click on Patreon, and you can support us by throwing us a bone, as we say it, or, or, or spending the equivalent of a cup of coffee by giving us a donation. Um, and it helps with our costs of Mark getting to Sydney and spending some time in a hotel room. <laughs> well, not exactly. It helps uh, defray some of the costs of the, the software we use and, and the website. Um, so that would be great if you could, if you enjoy the podcast and you're a regular listener or subscriber, gee, how about, how about giving us $10? Um, every now and again, that would be fantastic. Well, we would very much appreciate that. Um, so that's that community service announcement, Mark. And I don't think we have a review this week because we're going to we're going to cover some more good news story, and we're going to talk about an article that was in National Geographic, and the title was 10 Good News Stories for Wildlife in 2020." So. There's certainly been some bad news for wildlife, including some governments promoting bear bile as a coronavirus treatment. Um, Poaching, unfortunately, has surged in many um, places where ecotourism had come to a standstill. And uh, the cull of of mink in Denmark and uh, tigers in the Bronx Zoo testing positive to coronavirus. But we're not going to talk about those are we even though i just did we're going to talk about some positive ways wildlife have benefited benefited during the 2020 pandemic market do you want to take number one i do brendan i do indeed it hasn't been a bad all bad this year has it and there have been um some things and number one is the way that wildlife have benefited from some of our pandemic induced lifestyle changes um, so it's really focused, you know, with the early part of the, um, you know, the, the sort of tracing back to where it all started, the wet markets in China really focused a lot of attention on the international 
global wildlife trade um, and cause many governments, many people in governments, to rethink the way we interact um, with uh, with our wild animals. And um, and certainly, uh, you know, the Chinese government um, has initially laid the groundwork for criminalising the use of wildlife as food. Um, and, um, and so just that alone um, has got to be a really positive thing. Um, in March, April in the United States, road traffic decreased by you know, three quarters and so fatal collisions with wild animals such as um, deer and, and bears and mountain lions and elk, they fell by more than 50%. Um, and so uh, what's the statistic? Um, Fraser Schilling um, of the University of California, Davis, um, they have a road ecology centre, Brendan. Um, and yes, I was quite surprised by this statistic, Mark. It's a, it's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Which is hundred million vertebrates that are not killed on the road and highways is no small thing for wildlife. Crazy, it's huge. Five hundred million vertebrates not killed on the roads because of the decrease in road traffic in the US. It's, it, it is pretty astounding, isn't it? Um, well, number two, Mark, is it's a bit of a US-centric report as well, and that's owners of problematic private zoos in the US faced legal repercussions. And these even was this was even before the the Netflix Tiger King series, which we reviewed um, early on in the year, took off, uh, where Joseph Maldonado Passage, um, better known as Joe Exotic, was sentenced to a 22-year prison sentence. Uh, other prominent private zoo operators that were featured in the show and other zoos as well have faced legal trouble. So I think it's a good thing, even though we, we were a bit ambivalent about that actual series and, and um, whether it was a a good thing or not, the way it was um, produced and, and, and presented, um, it is a good thing that it has spotlighted um, some of these um, zoos that um, are not doing the right thing and they're a little bit dodgy, as we say here in Australia, Mark. Um, they're a bit getting rid of dodgy zoos is a good thing, Mark. That's number two, owners of problematic private zoos in the US facing legal repercussions and um, some of them being shut down. Very good thing, Brendan. Number three was one of my favourites, um, uh, particularly because uh, I, uh, as everyone knows, I'm a bit of a mad birder. And um, in response to a number of um, uh, events, um, black conservationists celebrated their love of wildlife during the first ever Black Birders Week. Um, the movement began after a specific incident in New York Central Park where a, uh, a white woman called the police after a uh, an African-American bird watcher, Christian Cooper, asked her to leash her dog in a part of the park that she was supposed to have her dog leashed. Um, and uh, four days later, biology student Corinne Newsom posted a video on Twitter saying, for far too long, black people in the US have been shown that outdoor exploration activities such as birding are not for us. Um, and so celebrating that it is for them, changing that narrative and uh, organising Black Birders Week is such a um, positive, um, uh, enthusiastic response to what initially was a pretty nasty episode. I'm really um, excited for future Black Birders Weeks in the US. Yes, a very positive story. And the next one I've 
particularly enjoyed the um, uh, report of this. The pangolin, which is the world's most trafficked non-human mammal, um, has been given two key protections in China, where in June Beijing gave pangolins the highest level of protection under the country's wildlife law, which prohibits almost all domestic trade and use of pangolins and also they removed the animal from its official list of approved traditional medicine ingredients which is fantastic although the article mentions loopholes still remain in the body parts they cannot be used as raw um, ingredients anymore um, which is great so at least we get in there with um, helping protect the pangolins and I th- um, they also report that last year more than 128 tonnes of pangolin scales, Mark, um, and meat were intercepted worldwide, which was an all-time high. So the global ban on commercial trade in these scaly mammals and the market for pangolin body parts for traditional Chinese medicine is still booming, but hopefully it will be decreasing now due to those um, changes in the law in China. Well, number five, Brendan, is once again a bit of a legal aspect Uh, the reporting of a legal case, suspected members of an alleged flying squirrel smuggling ring were apprehended in Florida. Law enforcement officers are um, reported to have broken up what they believe is the US's and perhaps the world's largest flying squirrel trafficking ring, um, leading to multiple arrests. Thousands of southern flying squirrels have been taken from the woods in recent years and shipped to a Korean, South Korean buyer who allegedly sells them into the pet trade. Um, and interestingly enough, GPS trackers, cell tower triangulation, and confidential informants all helped law enforcement unravel the case. Good. Good to hear. And number six, a new effort was launched to combat an, inv- an invasive species again in the US and it was blocking, and I didn't know about this one, Mark, illegal importation of one of the world's most invasive species, the Chinese mitten crab, which are considered a delicacy. And officials say they've seized nearly 15,000 of the live animals from various ports since late 2019. And they're concerned that if these crabs were to escape into the wild and multiply, the implications would be profound and perhaps very tasty as well, I suppose. They could damage riverbanks with their tunnelling, threaten food change by, by consuming local wildlife and possibly sicken human because they're known to transmit a parasite that's zoonotic. Um, so so that's good news as well. So did you know, know about the Chinese mitten crabs in, in, as a delicacy in the US, Mark? No, I did not. So number seven, Mark. Retired circus elephant, elephants will begin a new chapter in September this year. Conservationists announced that retiring performing elephants from the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circuses will move to a 2,500-acre conservation centre in Florida next year. White Oak Conservation, which bought the 35 Asian elephants, says its new facility will house the largest collection of these animals in the Western Hemisphere. It's a chance for us to let them return to just being elephants in a situation that's as close as the wild to the wild as we can make it. I think that's just a good thing, Brendan. It is, and they sort of, yeah, they can just 
have fun, be elephants, be, um, retire basically um, and, uh, to this two and a half thousand acre conservation centre. So, it, so it's good news. And I know it was, I can't remember when, when it was, mate. You might, might know that um, they they, they um, stopped elephants as, um, in circuses here in Australia. Um, I don't know the exact, exact date that occurred, but um, it's been a while now, hasn't it? Um, I think they just slowly, they, initially they just stopped any any new elephants being being um, used um, or imported or transferred between circuses, and then then they, um, I'm pretty sure they they banned it completely. Um, you may correct me, or somebody may correct me, but I'm pretty sure that's that's the case. Um, number eight. Um, so getting away from the US centric um, report on this, um, Tasmanian devils here, Mark, in Australia have returned to the mainland for the first time, uh, and they disappeared from the continent three thousand years ago, um, and restricted to just Tasmania, which is not far from where I am, Mark. And gee, I love going to Tassie. You've been to Tassie, um, haven't you, several times? I've, I've, I, I can't times. remember the how many t- times we've been, probably a, a good dozen or so. And we used to go down every year with the girls when they were younger. Um, and there was concern that they would become extinct but once they discovered the deadly face, facial tumour um, and they have been doing a program of, of isolating the ones that were the tumour free and doing a breeding program and now they have these fenced wildlife sanctuaries um, that they have um, where they're now sort of running wild. They're addressed into their ancestral homeland on the mainland here in Australia, so it's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, and I think there was another news story. Can you remember what it was just recently this week about the um, Tassie devil facial tumour, about the, the transmission rate had gone below 1.0 or something? Did you see that report, Mark? I have not seen it, Brendan. I'll have to try and chase that up one and report it in a future podcast, Mark. But it's good news. So they're basically the Tassie Devils, I think the the chance of them becoming extinct, which was a, a fair possibility once the facial tumour um, was found um, and they were um, getting below 25,000 or, or even much lo- lower than that um, is, is much less likely now. So it's good news. And that mainland population, that Aussie Ark um uh, reserve is it at Barrington Tops, just um, just a stone's throw from where I live, Brendan. Ah, excellent. Um, so number nine, Mark, what have we got? Number nine is um, it's it's about synergy, Brendan. A, a rare series of um, international cooperation uh, events with law enforcement. Um, has led to a significant crackdown on wildlife smuggling. smuggling. Between September and October, global law enforcement bodies and wildlife officials seized thousands of wildlife products as part of Operation Thunder 2020. Um, The contraband included the aforementioned scales of pangolins um, and a huge amount of illegally harvested timber. Live animals were also recovered, including 30 chimpanzees and 1,800 reptiles. The efforts, led by Interpol and the World Customs Organisation, involved more than 100 countries and was the fourth annual operation of its kind. I really like the idea of the synergies that arise from these um, these international cooperation 
Um, I think sometimes the loopholes between countries allow for some of these things to, uh, to you know, um, sneak past false paperwork and and uh, um, legal loopholes. Yes, and the local, the local equivalent here, I think, was called Operation Thunder Down Under, wasn't it, Mark? It's an excellent thing to do. Okay, I'll um, I'll keep talking to him up with number ten. You, you're breaking up a little bit, um, so perhaps you um, the internet connection there at the the hotel is a little bit dodgy. Um, but I'll take number ten, and that's grey wolves in the US will be reintroduced into Colorado in November. Voters narrow, narrowly approved a ballot measure to bring grey wolves back in the southern Rocky Mountains where they were hunted to extinction in the 1940s. And interestingly enough, this is the first time a state in the US has voted to reintroduce an animal species into its ecosystems. And the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Department will supervise the project beginning in 2022 or 2023. So... um, that is a good news story, Mark. Um, so that's fantastic. So, so there's ten good news stories for wildlife, um, rather than some depressing ones, which there are a few out there as well. And um, we like reporting on good news stories, don't we, Mark? We really count on, um, you know, we've got uh, this is, um, you know, a podcast about unusual and exotic pets predominantly, but we get interested in. The wildlife that um, that often leads to um, animals being kept in cap- captivity, and it is great to see that um, those wild populations are having some good news this uh, last twelve months. Bring it. Absolutely. Now, I don't have a segue to our main topic, but our main topic this week, Mark, is rabbit female desexing, so the rabbit spay, and we have mentioned it before or covered it as part of a. A previous podcast you can search for that at vetgurus.com but we thought we'd just run through the, the basics and a, a few sort of tips and tricks rather than just going through every single aspect of the surgical procedure we'll leave off the anesthesia um, topic for another time and we're going to talk about rabbit space and I think Mark what I'd like to jump in initially and talk about the 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 two extremes or maybe three extremes of the rabbit um, spay, and one is the immature rabbit spay. Um, and for those vets who are not used to doing a rabbit spay, um, the the uterus of that immature rabbit spay, and, and I'm talking about a rabbit that, that's under three or four months of age or, or perhaps some of the ones that are under six months as well, um, it's pretty small, isn't it? It's pretty thin. And, and I, I, I often say to vet students or vets who are, come into see practice that I, uh, you need to um, visualise it similar to a, a, a small cat, I suppose, the size of it. Um, and it can be a little bit a little bit fragile and a little bit tricky to to find um, when you're when you're fishing with your spay hook in there. Um, do you have any particular tips about um, performing the aspect of finding that that um that that uterus um with these juvenile ones mark um or do you wait for their until they're a little bit older do you what um do you prefer to do the rabbit desexing when they're about six or eight months of age no i like i think just getting them done when we can get them done um is absolutely a good thing to do and i i 
I agree with you. It can be very difficult to um, to find the the um, the uterus. The the whole uh, um, that tissue is relatively taut when they're young. And um, the big the good thing though is if you're patient, um, the the and you are able to find it. The absence of uh, huge amounts of fat in those younger animals. Um, tends to make the, you know, it's pluses and minuses. It's a little bit easier in that regard. Um, but I certainly would echo your concern about um, the, the one thing I've always found is the tissue is a little bit more fragile. And when you have found it, um, just making sure that you handle it very, very gently. Um, uh, it, it's not inconceivable to have significant tears and lose bits of tissue if you're uh, overly enthusiastic in your handling. Yeah, and I, I tend to, I have a fairly fine spay hook that I use for these immature ones, and I just gently run the spay hook along the inside of the abdominal wall, um, almost visualising in my head where potentially the bladder may be and going just cranial to that and that's where I tend to try and hook up the one horn of the uterus and then just gently raise it to the to the incision site and I suppose one one other tip or or what I um, prefer to do with my incision with rabbits is I tend to make the incision so I'm doing a midline spay on these I tend to make the incision a little bit closer to the to the um 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 region than, than I would um, in a dog or cat, um, which I think you're traditionally taught to make your incision 50% of the way from the umbilicus to the to the pelvis, something like that. And I tend to go a little bit more cranial um, with my incisions with, with the rabbits because typically I, um, I think the exteriorising the the little pedicle there with the ovary is the most difficult part. It's usually very easy to exteriorise the, the dual services there and the stump. Um, it's, it's more getting the cranial structures out that's a tricky bit. Um, do you make your incision in the typical spot or do you make it a little bit more forward than you would in a dog or a cat? It's unsurprising, Brendan, that you and I do exactly the same thing. So where we would aim to have the cranial margin of a dog or cat incision at that fit halfway between the umbilicus and the the um, uh, rim of the pelvis, we definitely are, are um, getting a little bit more cranial to make sure that we're right over. You know, we're not having to having to draw that ovarian pedicle any significant um, distance. And I think there is a little bit more give in the. You do have to depress the abdominal wall um, to get it beneath so that you can exteriorize the the uh, um, ovary on its pedicle and and if you are a little bit more cranial you just have that little bit more room to move and and I do say to um, people trying to learn the procedure that um, because the you know uh, uh, we're talking about many of the rabbits we'd be doing would be you know one and a half to two and a half kilos um, you still need to do a a two or maybe even three centimetre incision. You've got to make sure you give yourself enough um, enough space uh, um, when you're cutting in that midline. You don't want to give yourself a really tiny um, incision, Brendan. And the other thing is when you go through, is do you have any special tricks? So I often, I'm always worried about um, the... Uh, 
the you know the cecum and the other abdominal contents and um, and more than once I've gently um, incised through the thin linear alba and found those organs immediately. Yes. So um, don't don't cut things you shouldn't is my advice for that. So yes, when you make your initial incision um, in the skin, let alone the linear alba. Um, use some little forceps and pull up the skin um, so it's tenting up and, and, and the organs are, 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 are flopping back away from the incision and make your incision in the skin and then identify the linear album. Usually there's very little very little fat there, even in mature um, rabbits as well, in between the skin and the, the midline there. But do the same thing, pick up the, the linear alba there and lift it upwards um, away from the body of the animal and um, make your incision there so just I, I usually just make a little stab incision with the with the scalpel and then I swap over to the scissors and use those to, to as I'm as I'm opening up that incision site I'm lifting up the, um, the linear alba um, to minimize any chance of of nicking the um, gut that's sitting underneath there yes so I think it's a really important point and um, it's not something that you'd you'd consider potentially um, being a, a big problem if you if you used to just dealing with um, dog and cat space um, with them um, and the other thing is making your incision fairly small um, and I was mentioning today to the one of the um, vet students um, in the clinic today when doing a rabbit spay, um, you can always open up your incision further if you need to, but you can, um, it's a lot, it's quite difficult to, to try and reverse the, do the opposite, isn't it, Mark? Um, you can't close it up any further um, apart from putting sutures in there. So start small and it's always good to try and have a, a relatively small incision for these animals um, to minimise the, the chance of any post-operative um, self-trauma um, with them so you don't do the university cut is is my comment there mark um that you're trained to open up the animal from 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 pelvis to to rib cage um to do your spay you want to try and make it as small as you can with 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 the cut there so and my my next tip with them is um using and we we constantly mention this is using our vascular clips the Liger clips is a brand I use, otherwise the Hema clips, and using those little staples, those little um, stainless steel or titanium titanium staples to close off the vessels and to close the stump there because not only is it a, an amazing time saver, so you end up doing your spays a lot quicker, um, but they're, they're very efficient at um, closing off those little pedicles or those earth vessels and... Um, they're the bee's knees, Mark. I, I, lo I love using them and um, you just need to make sure that you mention to the client that your animal has these little metal clips inside its body forever that if it ends up going to another vet clinic or an emergency centre at some stage and has a radiograph that they realise those little bits of metal in there are just um, okay and they're just from the spay. Um, so do you have any tips about... Um, um, the pedicles, Mark, and, and um, um, removing the ovarian structure? Well, the only thing I'd add to your comments, Brendan, is that um, you know I use the the, um, the clips as well. Um, I would say that I've had a couple of cases, like there's several sizes in those clips, and if, you, if the practice you're at has the mid-range or small size clips, 
um, then sometimes you can be caught, particularly in the more mature rabbits, with um, you know struggling them, struggling to get them around the the uh, pedicle. They're ideal for those uh, juvenile, immature rabbits. Um, but just um, be ready. Don't you know? Don't feel like you've got to use those clips if you feel the structures of the pedicle are too big. Um, be ready to grab that uh, monofilament synthetic absorbable suture material and tie them off. Yes, and, and just to clarify, I'm using those clips for the for the vessels, um, and I'm not using them to 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 close off the the uh, the the uterine stump or the cervical stump there near the vaginal vestibule, and and those big vessels at the base um, of the of the stump there. I, I more than often tend to just um, tie them off with non um, with absorbable suture rather than a and a liger clip. Unless it's those immature ones, I think it works quite well. But the mature rabbits um, at the stump there, the vessels on either side of the of the uterine stump uh, or the cervical stump are, are much more prominent and enlarged compared with the actual. Um, ovarian vessels so you need to concentrate on, on cl clamping those off whichever technique you use um, more thoroughly or at least um, making sure that if, if um, one's going to bleed you don't want it to be those ones there so yes I use that um, um, suture material in that area as well and I think one trick is too that, that getting that little infundibulum and the ovarian um, structure when when we're um, finding those um, uterine horns, um, exteriorizing the complete structure there, and you'll know if you've got everything out properly because it will sit out quite readily outside the the suture um, incision, uh, uh, sorry the incision site, um, and if you're struggling to get that ovary outside the abdominal cavity then um, you just need to it's a bit of a technique isn't it you've got to sort of flip it out um, including the little the little um the little ovary and its little um, um structures involved there and once it does sit out it tends to slacken off doesn't it you don't it isn't taut anymore so it's um it's a little bit of an acquired technique it's a hard one to sort of describe over in a podcast isn't it mark um how to flip 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 the lid flip it out and um once it's flipped out um that ovary it's usually um easy peasy um easy going to try and um, clip off the the vessels and, and the stump there um so any tips about the opposite end, Mark? So, where are we making the? Where, we, where are you placing the clamp at the base where those two horns of the uterus um, form into that double cervix? There, where? Uh, what are we removing, and what are we leaving, and being careful about? Well, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't do anything to the urinary tract, um, and generally try to preserve as much of the vagina as possible. Um, and so uh, I generally am uh, right at the bifurcation, um, uh, trying to stay as cranial and still making a single clamp um, is where we go. But sometimes uh, I'll have um, animals that I have to, uh, you know, go right at the, the um, uh, you know, do the services as separate entities, Brendan. Yes, I, th I think. Why well, I was hesitating there. I think, apart from being on mute, um, the 
trick, I think, is or, or not to panic about clamping it very, very close to the surfaces there. Um, so really cranial up, um, cranially or, or cranially, just cranially on that vaginal vestibule or vault. So leaving as much as that vaginal vestibule or whatever you want to call it um, intact or in the animal there um, because the good news is and it's a bit of a rabbit thing the the incidence of rabbit cervical neoplasia is virtually unheard of I've only ever heard of one case um, so I wouldn't panic about um, getting complete cervical structure out and I think it's because of the transitional epithelium I think it um, what it is or isn't in in the rabbit that they basically don't get cervical cancer is is the bottom line with that so um, you don't need to panic panic and, and yes we certainly don't want to go too far down that vaginal vestibule or vault then we're ending up clamping off things we shouldn't like um, ureters <laughs> that are coming into that that region there so um, and the good news is that that vaginal vestibule or vault or the vaginal area is is pretty floppy and, and it's a fairly large structure there so we do have a fair bit to play with there but we do the sort of you know whatever technique that's preferred um you know two clamp three clamp one clamp um over that whole structure there um i tend to then do a i do a two clamp and then put a, a non an, an absorbable suture in the, in the lower clamp um once i've removed it and then I also tend to do a transfixin ligature um, over the stump as well, especially in the mature rabbits um, doing a transfixin ligature um, because that, that stump can be quite quite wide there, can't mark, and, 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 and a fair structure there. So it's closing off things. It's similar to, I suppose, what you do in a, a dog or a cat there, making sure that you've, you've, you've adequately um, closed off the the stump of, of the animal there um, and we're checking all our um, little sutures or our liger clips um, that we've placed over over the vessels on either side um, of that stump as well. What do you do about your closure? What closure technique do you do um, for that linear alba once you've, once you've removed the bits? Once I've removed the bits, I'm a little bit, I think the, the, the vast majority of surgeons use uh, a uh, single interrupted um, suture pattern I tend to be a little bit nervous about it in rabbits and yeah I've got to balance the discomfort of additional knots and additional um, suture material um, if you were to do single interrupted sutures but um, that's generally my preferred technique Brendan I whack a series of single interrupted sutures in the, the incision in the linear alba um, as you said before even in very big rabbits um, the, there's often the space between the series of mammary glands that um, is relatively free of subcutaneous fat so sometimes we're just tacking a couple of uh, bits of subcutaneous tissue down and then um, closing the skin with um, uh, subcuticular layer so that it's not very irritating and doesn't isn't something the rabbits can uh, have a go at from outside we once used um, tissue cement quite frequently and occasionally we still will. Well, funnily enough, funnily enough, Mark, I'm pretty similar there in the, sorry um, to talk over you there. Um, you're cracking crack up a bit with your connection there, but um, funnily enough, I'm exactly the same as you um, with doing simple interrupted sutures in the linear Albert. It's just what I've traditionally done for many years and um, 
I haven't changed things in all that all that time, and that's just what I do. Um, but yeah, a, a single um, continuous suture would certainly be okay as well um, for use with that. And then I do the same. Yes, I tend to I tend to do one or two sort of tack in subcutaneous sutures in the, in those mature females or the females that have recently had. A litter, those mammary glands are prominent, but yes, it, it usually is fairly easy to avoid those mammary glands and those mem- that mammary tissue, which you do not want to place a suture through because it's more likely to irritate the animal, if not cause um, some more um, trouble there, and then it may attack the wound. And I tend to use intradermal sutures, Mark, um, plus or minus a little bit of the tissue glue um, for my closure with them. Um, depending on the size of the incision there. And I think one of the challenges with rabbits, especially those immature rabbits, is their skin is so thin and um, you need to use fairly fine suture material. I use a reverse cut in 3-0 or 4-0 suture material for the intradermal layer there, Mark. And um, as long as um, I take my time and I'm not too... um, Tutorian, I've had had my um, uh, caffeinated up enough, and that actually stops me being jittery. Um, then yeah, I can usually manage to do an intradermal layer um, quite readily. Some people just use inter, um, um, normal skin sutures, in, um, simple interrupt or equivalent, and and they work fine as long as you, you're doing the final thing, which we really really stress for all unusual pets is um, any surgery, especially these small mammals, is to provide adequate pain relief because that's the main reason why they're going to attack their sutures post-operatively if you haven't provided adequate pain relief, both during, uh, well, well, the triple the triple threat mark um, before the surgery, um, during the surgery and after the surgery is when you need to provide adequate pain relief. Um, so these are certainly sent home on several days of typically meloxicam twice a day um, to help them with, with their pain relief. And then the owners are told to bring the animals back between five and seven days for a little post, post-operative check and for 99% of these routine desexins with these female rabbits, uh, there's no external sutures and it's just a quick check with the nurse with them. Um, what's, um, do you use a tissue glue as well with these, Mark, or not? We tend to use tissue glue only occasionally now. It's um, it's something that uh, we've had a few rabbits like get stuck into when it's over enthusiastically applied. Um, but there are times where the my subcuticular sutures uh, um, are not as good as yours, and uh, and um, the intradermal ones. And so occasionally the little gaps I'll just seal over with a spot of tissue cement. Yeah, and I think the key with the tissue glue is that it's um, it's basically a super glue. So the important thing in there is that it's very strong, and you use a very minimal amount because it is tissue toxic. If you let it drip into that subcutaneous space or, or or beneath the dermis there, so it's using as little amount as you can there. And I usually say to the vet students, we're not trying to glue the rabbit to the ceiling um, with with a big dob of tissue glue we're just trying to do what I think we were all taught during surgical rotations when we were students the whole aim of of um, re, um, 
skin repair or, or suturing skin is to just oppose the edges of the skin and let the skin heal itself, Mark. Um, we're not trying to stop the ab- abdominal contents falling out um, when their skin sutures. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's my final sort of tip or, or comment. Do you have any sort of final comments with our, with our rabbit spayers, Mark? Well, just while we're talking about tissue cement time, I echo your comments about um, keeping it to a small volume because otherwise you, uh, you end up like with your fingers stuck all over yes. trying to extricate yourself from the rabbit as it's... Uh, yes, and, and don't do what the boys next door did or one of the boys next door did when um, they were younger and they used to play with the girls uh, all the time and that they... Uh, and the, um, Pauline, the, 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 um, the um, mother next door um, was very crafty and she used to use lots of... Um, lots of um, super glue for certain things and the boys got into the super glue and they ended up super gluing their their eyelids closed shut so they ended up down at the local gp with a little bit of zoff or equivalent um, acetone or something to try and um, unglue their unglue their um, eyelids although i must admit i think this was the same boy that um, was using a little one of those little magnet fishing games. Do you remember those, Mark? The little kids' magnet fishing, and that, um, where you have a lit, um, magnet magnets on the little fish um, that are hidden away, and you have a little a little um, fishing rod with a magnet on the end of it. Um, and for some, he, his <laughs> for some reason, he ended up throwing the fishing um, line down his throat um, because he could. Um, and I don't know why he was doing it, but he ended up somehow, even though it just had magnets on the end, he ended up fishing it out his own tonsil. Um, <laughs> and and his, his mother came right, she came, Pauline came running in um, saying, I think, um, I, I better not mention his name, I, I think he's. Let's call him Joe. I think Joe's pulled something out the back of his throat and uh, she revealed this little um, magnetic fishing rod um, and had, must have had some sort of sharp edge or hook on the end as well. Um, and there was bits of tonsillar tissue um, that she brought in and said, I said, oh, I think he's done a tonsillectomy on himself. Um, so, <laughs> so I think it was the same boy. So I, I think he wasn't quite um, – he was, he was good at getting into trouble there. Yeah, so, yes. So there you go. The things you do when you're young, Mark, and, and impetuous. Um, so we won't talk about the things we've done because Mr. Outro is here and – We thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.